Hello everyone and welcome to Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is. I'm Kevin Hillier and here he is, the star of the show. Oh, it's Brian Mannix, look, there he is. Going to you live from my brother's backyard in beautiful Victoria and uh, enjoying the nature. He's got a lot of gum trees and some parkland behind, which is just beautiful. It looks like a Norman Lindsay painting. It's, oh, okay. it's, one, it's wonderful, you know. And, as, long you as, know you don't, pretty... as long as you don't make it look like a pro heart painting at any stage. <laughs> well, yeah, I have made a few spills on the floor, so... Um, oh, Mr. Hart! And I said, don't mop them up, that's art, you know. Um, yeah. How have you been, Kev? I'm well, I'm very well, uh, very well indeed. And uh, you've been busy, you've been gigging, which is good. Yes, I have. I've, um, I played at the uh, Pan Pacific's in uh, the Gold Coast the other night, which was a wonderful gig. Uh-huh. Um, and the Pan Pacifics, for those that don't know, it's all, I think, people over 40 competing from all over the world. Yep. And um, actually, I might go into it next year because... Um, oh, yeah, what yeah. sport? Well, I'll go into swimming and, you know, because... Swimming. Well, I'd be... I don't know when it, I don't know if they do it every year, but yeah, I could have gone in it this year and competed in the sixty-one-year-old swimming. And I think you know, if I if I put my mind to it and did a bit of training, you know, I'm not going to embarrass. Hang myself on, the last time you did a swimming race was against one of your mates' girlfriends or friends or female friends, and she yeah. beat you. She beat you, whipped you like a like a Dairy Queen ice cream. <laughs> Okay, Kev, but we learned from our <laughs> mistakes. That, that, that's, that was Evelyn you're talking about. And, yeah, that's right. And, you know, like, you know, my kids told me once you turn 30, you're not allowed to just wear Speedos. Correct. So I've got my Speedos on, but I've Well, not in front of other people, Brian. Well, no, but I've got my Essen footy shorts on, and when I dived in, the shorts came down and just severely stifled my kicking prowess. And, I'm, you know, tipping, and I'm tipping Woody. Well, he's back. <laughs> um, but um, so I think that hindered me and I think I could make a far better a better show of it in uh, future. So um, so that was great. You know, there was about 5,000 people there, so that oh, was wow. terrific. And then, um, then we played at um, – came back to Melbourne and played at uh, – some joint, Kev, and it was it was. It <laughs> I've was seen good. the photos, but I can't remember the name of where you played. To be honest, I and then last the last night was really good. We played at um, Sale, at, like in a theatre, and I and I kind of like you know these shows that you do in little theatres because um, I think there's a whole audience of people that you know they love music, but they just don't want to go to a pub and you know drunks and all yep. that shit. Hanging on, yep. so that and they and they come on and that and that audience they just are really there for the music and they just really want to, you know, they don't care whether I wiggle my hips, they just want to hear me sing well, which is. Refreshing. They, is there a dance floor area or you just sit down for those gigs? Oh, well, there's some people. Most of them sit down, but yep. um, but you know, this you know by the end everybody's on their feet and stuff because we're so 
so very good, Kev, for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the Absolutely 80s show and I, I agree, it is one of those shows where I'm not a dancer by any stretch of the imagination, but I found myself the last time I saw you yeah, uh, quietly, quietly jigging away in the corner. And for our listeners, you probably don't know that uh, Kevin is a great break dancer. I've never seen anybody spin on their head as well as you did, and without right. the crash, without the crash helmet, you're which right. Was I'm extra a, surprising. I'm a breakdown. I break everything when I dance. Every, <laughs> every I break. I break uh, tables. I break chairs. I break wind. I break everything. I think the wind is your your, your strongest yeah, asset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When people come to see you dance, they just know that it's a, <laughs> when- it's a. It's a scratch and smell experience. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes. It's all the senses. When people come to see me dance, that has never happened in my life and never will. People are not coming to see me dance. Good well, God. I just uh, can't believe that uh, Penhouse stopped making those scratch and smell <laughs> copies of the magazine. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway. Oh, no. All, all right, right, let's talk about the show. And two great guests, uh, two two iconic figures of the Australian music industry. Uh, Gary Twin is our first yep. guest. Uh, of course, yep. Supernaut. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, mine host of the uh, of the Market Tavern in uh, oh. in LA. What a pub. Yep, great, uh, great uh, sort of English-themed West Ham uh, United-themed pub where he's got a, a really good band that he plays in on a, a Friday night and across the weekend and uh, just they do really good food and all that stuff. So Gary Twins, our and first the, guest. And the toilets are spotless clean, which is unusual for a pub in Los Angeles. So <laughs> well done, Gary. <laughs> exactly. And B. Bertles, who's in Nashville these days and, of course, was uh, a member of some of uh, well, a couple of our, our biggest bands and a couple of our most interesting bands in, uh, in our music history, he was one of the founding members of Zoot. Oh, great band. Oh, absolutely. And then uh, was, of course, one of, the, um, one of the key members of the Little River Band, probably our most successful band over a long period of time. But up there with Air Supply and, and Men at Workers, so, you know, one of, in excess is one of our biggest bands. Oh, what a great band Zoot were. They're fantastic. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm just being, no. But I tell you, I tell you what, uh, Kev, um, you've got Gary, he's, you know, one spectrum of the music yeah. uh, scene, and you've got Beeb, is another spectrum of the music scene. And I love it because you know why? Why? I like it both ways. <laughs> oh, God. And you'll hear the story behind the writing of that song. You'll you won't believe where it was written, and and why it was written, and the way it sort of uh, happened. But Gary's going to tell us all about that. So, uh, well, we'll get- wasn't it something to do with Molly's spa bath? Or no, no, that's I made that up. Sorry about that. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get to uh, to Gary now. So uh, we must mention our very good friends at Murcotts, though. Oh, one three hundred triple five five seven six. Just dial the number now, and then find out why once they get on the phone. Exactly right, and don't forget a gift voucher for Christmas. Smartest thing you can do, easiest present you can buy, and the best present you can buy would be a gift voucher from Murcotts. Well, you know the road toll, and Christmas is a time, especially when you've got to be careful. Everybody's going on holidays, and. Um, Driving to places they've never driven before, and uh, the dickhead pro you know, rata is higher than normal, so don't be one of those, and you won't be if you go to Murcotts. What about if I, you know, I decide I'm going to get a caravan, Kev, 
and I've never driven a caravan. Could I go down to Mercos? Yeah, you could. They'll help you. They'll they'll show me how to back it in and do all that stuff. They will help you with uh, being able to handle and drive and know the (laughs) logistics of being in charge of a four-wheel drive vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. They're very good at that. Very good at that. I've got another question, Kev. Now, what if I'm having trouble meeting women? Can I go to Mercos and they'll help me with that as well? <laughs> oh, goodness me. Oh. Well, I think we had to drive a car so that the girl will feel safe. So yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Let's get to Gary Twin from Super Norton to find out what he's up to these days. Oh, what's he liking these days? All right. Now, let's talk yeah. about what you're doing these days because uh, tell us about the International Swingers and where that's at and where you're playing and, uh, and what you're up to. The International Swingers, we're not really doing anything anymore. We Originally, I don't know if you know that Supernaut did like the Countdown Spectacular. I think that didn't the X-Men do the, the first one? Yeah, yeah. I actually came along to that uh, concert. Saw you. You guys were great. Thanks. Thank yeah, you. it was really good. Uh, no, it was great. Yeah, I came to the Melbourne show, I think. Yeah, Melbourne show. So, yeah, so we did that, and then we did a couple of other get-togethers, and then um, I got a call from an agent and said, you know, do we want to come back and do some more (coughs) Supernox shows? And I said, not really, um, but uh, I've got some mates at my house right now, and uh, we could come. And that was the guys from, you know, we called it the International Swingers, which is Clem from Blondie, Glenn Matlock from the Pistols, and James Stevenson, who was in Gen X and every other band you can think of. So uh, so we did that, um, made a record in the end after the Australian tour, and but it just became a bit too much to manage what with, you know, Clem and Blondie and whatnot. So... Um, now I have a thing called The Long Shadows, which is really good fun. And uh, we play pretty regularly with that. It's just, it's just pub rock, really, you know. So and, is that a, uh, is that a moving lineup? Is that a lineup that changes? No, no. It's a five-piece band. Um, guy called Mick Cripps was a guitarist in a band called LA Guns. They were, you know, massive in the 80s. And Mick actually was born in Adelaide. He's, Amer- he's totally American. So his family moved from London to Adelaide, but he was born there, him and his twin brother, and then they ended up moving to California. So he and I are the only two people I know who have three passports, you know, Brit, Australian, and American. Uh-huh. Like James Bond, you know. <laughs> I, I've got a pub that I opened here a little while ago, and so we... As, as luck would have it, we're the house band on Friday nights. And, you know, we get friends to come up and play with us and it's great, you know, really good. So that's it's your pub? Good. Yes. Oh, okay. So you, so you managed to negotiate a deal with yourself to book your band? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, you know, Brian, it's so funny, right? It, it was like Sundays. We, we did really well. We had like a Sunday roast. So... Um, it goes great, but then after the Sunday roast, you know, everyone's going home. So I thought, what can I do to keep people here? So I asked a couple of mates if they would bring their acoustics in and, uh, you know, just play a few, you know, pogues and, you know, that kind of stuff So with me. But then um, the first time we did it, Clem was there and he's like banging all the tables and he's like, yeah, I could do this with you, you know. 
So I was like, yeah, but you're Clem Burke, you're the loudest drummer in the world. And he goes, oh, I've got a, a little, little kit. So he brought his little kit in the next week. And then we're like, well, now we need a bass player. So then we got a bass player and then everyone's like, well, fuck this acoustic shit. We need electric guitars. <laughs> <laughs> so within within a month, it went from a three-piece acoustic <laughs> to a five-piece rock and roll band. But um, And now we do it, you know, and, and, and everyone loves it. So, uh, you know, now we do Friday nights and we play all over the place as well, play out in the desert. And it's just good fun. I didn't, you know, it, when, when you don't expect something, I think it just falls in your lap and it's just good, really good fun. So what sort of stuff are you doing? We we just do like Rolling Stones, Kinks, doc, you know, Dr. Feelgood sort of stuff and Yardbirds, all the stuff that, well, basically songs that I know. <laughs> so all stuff I know the words to. <laughs> Minimise rehearsal. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and then we, and then we've written, you know, we me and Mick have written a lot of stuff together, but mainly when we play live, it's just our own stuff. You've had a few songs um, used in movies. Mm-hmm. That must be a thrill. I reckon that'd be just great. I mean, you've done that. You must have. You know? uh, I think I've, I've got one in a really bad Australian movie, so it was like uh, it didn't really count. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I saw Mummy kissing Santa Claus. You got a song in that, and was oh it yeah, Santa? yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, what's yeah. it? Rock Santa Rock or something? Was it called? Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I originally made up from my son. Yeah, there's a few out there. There's a show right now called Yellow Jackets. It's on Showtime here. That I've got one of my songs is in that. They still haven't paid me for it, though, but um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rock and roll, don't you love it? Can you follow West Ham from? From LA? Yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, You just have to be committed to get up early in the morning. I I presume you're a West Ham fan because you're from West Ham. Yes, exactly. And um, the pub is a West Ham pub. When I first designed the place, I brought in this British chef, a guy called Brendan Collins, who's amazing. And but he's he's a northerner, you know. He's a Man U fan, but he wasn't really paying attention to the design. So I was showing him, you know, the lighting and how this is going. He's like, yeah, 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 whatever you want. And I'm showing him the artwork. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but he didn't notice that I put a massive picture of West Ham up <laughs> and, <laughs> and all, all these logos and everything everywhere. So it was a bit too late. When we opened, he's like, what the fucking hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very nice. Yeah, there's a lot of Brits in LA, as you probably gathered. And uh, so there's the LA Hammers supporters. So they they come to the pub for the games. So it's most of them start around seven in the morning. So you can imagine how that gets after, you know. There's usually the, you know, oh, I'll just have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, but then... By about quarter past seven, the pints are going around. <laughs> By the time the game's finished, everybody's legless. Exactly. <laughs> way to go. Way to go. <laughs> so a 70s rock and roll person running a pub is normally not, uh, you know, a recipe for a great success because it's like giving, you know, Dracula the keys to the blood bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite good in that respect. My son pretty much runs it. I'm, I'm like, you know, I just sort of walk around and go, why is this here? Why is that there? And um, see you later. But he, he does everything. He's the work. He's the grafter. Right. 
Tell me about I Like It Both Ways. Now, where did the lyric come from? It's just such a classic lyric. How was it written? You know, what was the story behind the song? Um, well, uh, it was Chris, Chris Burnham, guitarist, who came up with that title. I don't know why he came up with it, but uh, but he just threw it out there and he had the, the three chords, that's all it is, dun, dun, dun. We sat around his mum and dad's house and um, just came up with it. Well, to be perfectly honest, right, Chris and his brother Joe and me, we started the band, but we were, you know, kids. And we advertised for a bass player and this guy came in, he was absolutely the best musician out of all of us, probably the only musician out of all of us. <laughs> and um, But he was obviously gay and right. he had a, a boyfriend, but we were all too like shy to admit that we knew that's what was going on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, and, um, so I guess I wrote those lyrics out of cowardliness, really. really <laughs> And because uh, I remember his his partner saying to me, "So Gary, what is this song actually about?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, just like mates, you know." And some like it this way, some like it that way. But, uh-huh. but yeah, yeah. Um, and I finished the lyrics off in uh, in biology class in high school. I remember like passing it back and forth between friends. Go, what do you think of this line? What do you think of that line? And I actually I was at my mum's house. At Christmas, and I found my handwritten lyric to it. You know. Oh, wow! It's quite funny, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the cassette uh, with uh, I don't know if I that the cassette with with I, I haven't listened to it yet, but that's my original demo. For oh, wow! It. Fantastic. Yeah. So we, yeah, we just we worked on it, and uh, that was it. Well, it's it's a classic song. Um, I know when I was first starting in my band, you know, as you said, it's only got three chords in it. Oh, yeah, this is a good one to play because it was fairly easy to play. But, um, um, but it, you know, it really works really well. What about the telephone in the, in the song? The telephone just starts ringing, which I don't think has ever been done before or since. What prompted that to happen? That was totally Ian's idea, you know, Molly, you know, because he – it was in the studio with us, you know, basically he produced it. He just came up with this idea. There's underneath, in that part, in that middle yeah. break, there's a section. I I go, um, there's, what's it? There's a phone call. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I, and a girl calls me and she goes, what are you doing tonight? Yeah. And I, oh, uh, I don't know. And then the phone rings again. And then it's Chris Burnham, and he goes, "Hi, what are you doing tonight?" Because <laughs> <laughs> initially it was banned from radio in Australia, wasn't it? I know. Apparently, uh, what was it? Uh, two. I can't remember the names of the radio stations. Was it Two Double J or? Would have been um, Two SM, I reckon. Two SM, yeah, yeah, right. They were. They were apparently the story was they were owned by the Catholic Church. Oh, that's not a story. That's fact. Okay, so and they didn't. So they said their lyrics were unsavory, and so it was banned. Yeah, um, because of Countdown and uh, Bandstand playing it. um, You know, Daryl over there. They they played they played us uh, a bunch of times on on TV. It became a hit, and two SMs 
their their uh, slogan was "We play all the hits." Ah. So so they were they were forced to play it. It was not us being clever or anything, but that's what happened. Yeah, it was yeah. different different uh, case with the, like Skyhawks got banned by the the record association, whereas this was just a two SM St Mary's Church ban. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what it stands for, St Mary's Church. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It scared radio because it was controversial and different. Did you did you just love that? Did you just dine out on that? Not really. You know, we were so yeah, such kids. You know, we thought it was great to stick it to everybody. You know, but um, I don't think we had any. You know, we we weren't going. Oh yeah, we're going to do this to be outrageous or anything. We, you know, you love it when you're a kid. You know, I mean, the best thing is to annoy your parents, right? You know, you know, our thing was if it's too loud, you're too old, which <laughs> we obviously got from Pete Townsend. But that that whole kind of thing, you know, I I used to love annoying people by tell, calling them old farts even back then. And these these would be people who were anything over twenty four, you know. <laughs> And, yeah. and what's funny is, like years later, when you know you asked me about the international swingers, when we we when we went to we played it in Australia. So the idea with the swingers that we would play all our own songs, but so we did a bunch of Blondie songs, a bunch of Sex Pistols songs, some Supernaut, and then my English band Twenty Five Rockers. But when we played in Sydney, we had a particularly laid back audience. I mean, they were all standing there, very attentive, you know, applauding after everything, but not really, like, um, animated in any way. And then it came to doing I Like It Both Ways, and I said, here's a song about a guy who just can't make his mind up. And then Clem said, hey, Gary, what can't he make his mind up about? And I said, well, (laughs) he can't decide between Vegemite and Marmite. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, the whole place gets animated, you know. And so Glenn and James are going, Marmite. And then all everyone in the audience go, No, fuck you, Vegemite. <laughs> so it was controversial, even, you know, even once again, you know. But those guys loved the song. And, and when we were touring in the US and everything, I was like, Guys, can we kind of give it a rest now, you know, on this? And they're like, No, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. It's just so, you know. Just, I guess it's catchy. I just, you know, for me, as as you know yourself, Brian, you know, you, you got your own songs and you're like yeah. sort of fed up with them, but other people love them, you know. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta keep playing them because that's what they want to hear the, the ones they know. So yeah, you know, I, I can I can never understand artists that sort of go, no, nah, I'm not playing my big hits from the '80s or whatever. It's like, well, hang on, that's why the people are coming to see you. But um, exactly, that's why they're paying their money. Yeah. Yeah, just back back to your pub for a second. Is it like a micro brewery or it not? No, no, it's no. Uh, it's I call it a contemporary British pub. So the pub features. We absolutely have hands down the best fish and chips ever. Right? I said to um, Brendan, the chef. I want to have the best fish and chips in LA and that should not be difficult. There's a few British pubs in LA, but they're, it's more like kind of like theme pubs. You know, they've got pictures of the Queen and Winston Churchill and horseshoes and, and, and really shit service. So it's very <laughs> British. <laughs> Don't hold um, back, Gary. Don't hold back. Do you tell us exactly what you think here? 
<laughs> so I wanted to have more of a contemporary thing, you know, like if you were in England right now or in London and you went into a pub, what it would be like. So that's what we have, only with much better weather. You know, there's a lot of rock and roll in there. I've got, I've, I've made this huge mural with posters and a bunch of British and Australian bands up on the wall and uh, photographs that friends of mine took of, you know, stones and clash and faces and stuff. So it's got this rock, you know, I made the playlist, obviously. So it's, you know, all my favorite music playing and the food's great. And 24 taps of amazing beer and uh, great cocktails. It's a great, it's, it's my favorite pub. So, <laughs> it, so if somebody listening to this is going to LA, where is your pub and what's it called? And they want to come and, you know, watch okay. West Ham or something. Yeah, it's called, it's called Market Tavern, and yep. it's located in the original farmer's market in L.A. So uh, back in the 30s, this family called the Gilmores had a, a farm in, in L.A., and they would, uh, whatever his name was, was digging a well, like the Beverly Hillbillies, and he's like, oh, what's all this black shit coming out of <laughs> the ground? Well, it's oil. So they became an oil family, and they had uh, their own gas station, petrol stations, and the Gilmore Gas Company, and then they sponsored motor racing in, back in, in those days. First uh, ever professional motor racing stadium was on that land, and then first ever professional baseball uh, stadium was on that land. The original LA baseball team before the Dodgers was called the Hollywood Stars at Gilmore Field. And then they built what essentially is the first ever supermarket in a way, but it was just like a, a, a covered piece of property that all the grocers could come in, you know, like the, the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker, they're all under one temporary roof. And it just took off and it's been there since 1934. But there was this one building on the edge and it was a hamburger place. And I just thought it'd be a great place for a pub. So I'm quite good at design. So I, I designed this pub and um, approached the family that still owned that property. And Bob's your uncle, you know. Well, not really because it took a few years but um, and, and begging <laughs> for funding. <laughs> Bob's your uncle or your auntie. Yes. He, he likes it both ways, so it's fine. He's Bob's yeah, exactly. your uncle or an auntie. Nice, but I like that. <laughs> oh, good on I you. That's a, that's, a gutsy, that's a gutsy move, obviously, and, uh, you know, putting yourself out there. Yeah, people love it, you know. it's it's. I mean, it's been tough, obviously, as, as for all of us with, uh, COVID. you know, lockdowns. And L.A. used to be like a late-night town. Now, I'm, it's... If you, after midnight, you didn't see anyone out on the weekends. You know, they're all gone. Wow. Hey, tell us about 20, uh, 20 Flight Rockers, which was c- kind of reading about what happened with you with that. was It was almost like, not sl- sliding door moments, but almost slamming door moments where the timing just didn't quite ever fall into place for you, but it seemed like everyone was really excited about what you were doing and what you were performing and what you were singing and writing and all that stuff, but it never kind of... The ducks never lined up. Yeah, no, it was a great band. We, you know, it all started because um, I'd, I'd been in England for a while trying to figure out what to do, just riding around on a motorbike most of the time. And um, the guys from In Excess, I ran into them in a club. They were like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "I don't know. I just wanted to find something else to do." And they 
happened to be with this guy, Mark Laff, who was the drummer from Generation X. And I guess Generation X was just falling apart right then. And so he, I got together with him and started jamming, whatever you do. And we formed a band and we ended up calling it 20 Flight Rockers because we initially went to Germany, just like the Beatles did, and played in some small clubs. And we just did Eddie Cochran songs. And, you know, Eddie Cochran had the song 20 Flight Rock. And I was in a motorbike, so it was all leather jackets and greasy hair. So 20 Flight Rockers. And yeah, it, it, it was great. We, we were a really great live band. And um, we were the first band ever to play live to air on BBC Radio. Wow. Wow. You know, a rock and roll band. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the Beatles were recorded before they were allowed to be played. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. It's, and then Bernie Rhodes became our manager. And then um, it all kind of just kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah. As things do. Yeah. yeah. That's a pity because uh, I, I, I gather that everyone was really – Really, really excited about where it was going. So, musically, uh, uh, I mean, you got obviously the long shadows going now. The Supernaut thing, you, you, you never, never to visit that again. I don't know. We we got back together for the what was it fortieth in women's at two thousand sixteen. It was great. It was good fun. And Philip, you know, our bass player Philip Foxman, he's always keen for a reunion of some sort. Uh, um, I just logistically, it hasn't been possible lately. But um, the guys, you know, we're, we're really close. I mean, Chris and Joe, they're brothers. And Joe and I went, you know, we were in school together. We were tight. And we're, uh, we're like family and all our kids know each other. So, um, I mean, uh, there's not going to be any records or anything, but, yeah. you know, we, who knows? You know, Never say never. Yeah, but it's yeah, obviously. Exactly. So I mean, it's obviously just talking to you now. It's obviously fond memories of of that time, and uh, and not something that that finished horrendously, as many bands no. do. No, no, no. We, I think we, times changed. A, a lot of people said, "Oh, now they're trying to go punk." But the thing is that we were always like that. You know, that that's we weren't trying to change our image or anything. We just we just. Uh, we were always like that. And it, basically, Supernaut was three English football hooligans <laughs> and a nice Jewish boy from Sydney, you know. <laughs> doesn't matter how many layers of satin you put on top of it, you know, that's what we were. What, what, is, what is Supernaut? What do, I, don't, I don't ever remember seeing a story about the name. Oh, it came from a Black Sabbath song. Oh, okay. Um, it was... Uh, Joe that came up, you know, that wanted to use it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a Black Sabbath song. Goes da 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 or something like that. Sounds a bit like the theme to F Troop. I'm an idiot. And obviously, obviously, your voice is good, and you're still you're still enjoying singing these days and getting up with the with your band and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, I can sing. I know I sound a bit weird. It's because um, it, <coughs> um, I think because 
we've had the AC on for the last, uh, or you guys call it aircon, yeah, for the last uh, week. It's been Not- so freaking hot. So you, you mentioned you got three passports. You got your, your English passport when you're born in West Ham. Uh, then you got your Aussie passport. And you're, so what are you? If if I had to, we had to nail you down, what's what's what are you? Are you, are you a pom, an Aussie, or a, a, a yeah? You're clearly not American. Well, the formative years were in Australia, so I've got to be an Aussie, really. Yeah, that's that's what everyone assumes, anyway. Uh, where the heart is. My mum still lives in Perth. Um, it's 95 this month. Oh, wow. wow. And she's doing great, so thank good for those genes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bloody earth. And your, your son, how old's your son? He's 27. Okay, yeah. good. But he's he's totally a yank, you know. He's, he's born here in L.A. Um, he's been to Australia a ton of times, knows it, like, really well, loves Sydney, Um uh, we won't hold that against him, and uh, <laughs> no, no, he knows his way around. And uh, um, says that he's, you know, considering coming over there for to live for a little bit. But I, I need him. We're here right now. Yeah, because yeah, you just walk around saying, "What's this doing here?" And he does all the real work, so you'll yeah. have to roll your sleeves up if he comes and lives out here for a bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But we're, we're coming over in. Um, in January, we're going to come over. We're going to see my mum, and then go and see the, you know, the boys in Sydney, the Supernaut lads. Beautiful, cool. beautiful, yeah. mate. Thanks for thanks for having a chat to us. I really appreciate uh, you responding to the the Facebook uh, connection and and uh, getting a chance to catch up. Because and I, uh, like Brian, I listened to uh, I like it both ways last night. And you reckon I can get it out of my head now? <laughs> 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 I am walking around the house singing I like it both ways. My wife thinks I've gone absolutely mental. Sorry. <laughs> no. No, it's a, it's a song that the song that has a, a very special place in the Australian music history, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm I'm so I'm grateful and honored that people still know that song. You know, it's incredible. To, to know that, as I told you, it's something that we put together when we were kids. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real honour that people still know it. And for you two to be talking about it, that's, that's huge. It was the most productive biology lesson you ever went to. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till all Brian's mates turn up at the uh, at the market tavern and start asking you then the band is singing on a Friday night. You then then you then you might not be so enthusiastic about it. We could do it. Yeah, we could do it. We we can just play anything, and those guys would do it in a heartbeat. So yeah, we will. Ah, oh, beautiful. Thanks, cool. Gary. Really appreciate your time, mate. Uh, good, uh, good luck and good health to you. Cheers, Kevin. Cheers, cheers, Brian. See you. Mate. Cheers. Good on you, Gary. Thanks, mate. Johnny is a guy who can make up his mind. He says, "I like it both ways." Johnny's world is inside out. His daddy thinks he's insane.
Jesus girl says I love you always She's gonna love and find within a schizophrenic mind Because he likes it both ways is one of those songs now that you've heard it I tell you even though we're going to play a couple of great songs in the rest of this uh, uh, podcast you're not going to be able to get that song I Like It Both Ways out of your head for a very long time I don't know if I like your choice of words there Kev it's called I Like It Both Ways and you're saying I can't get it out of my head this is <laughs> it's, this is quite disturbing to me it'll rattle around I- in there and you'll just be you'll be sitting and go I like it both ways <laughs> Yeah, one of the one of the most memorable songs of that uh, that late seventies era, and uh, what a what a good bloke Gary yeah. is. What a great bloke, and um, as you know, as we just found out, um, his career was far more diverse and far more involved than you know the little I knew about him. So it was it was great to talk to him. Yep. And, um, find out a whole lot more about him. Head to the Market Tavern where the original Old Farmer's Market is in Los Angeles and that's where you'll find him, uh, him and the Long Shadows playing uh, uh, good uh, pub rock music and uh, and um, serving good pub food. So get into it. Fantastic. Easy get yes. down there. And, and I think they've got uh, $15 Palmer night on Tuesday, so <laughs> check that out. <laughs> Of course they have. Now, our yeah. next guest is a man who was uh, – we're going to take in this – this is part one of the chat. Now, Brian, you're not in this one because it was another one of those early morning chats that uh, because of the time difference with Nashville that um, mm. that we did – that I did early in the morning. But I've, I've known Bebe for years and years and years, so it was a, a good – 
great thrill for me to be able to catch up with him again after a long, long time and have a chat. And in this one, we're going to start from Zoot and go up to LRB and then in part two we'll pick up the LRB story and talk about all those great songs that they did. But this one's the early days of Beep Birdles. Is, is, is his name Beep or did you find out what his full name is? His name is Mr. Beeb to you. All right. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Mr. Beeb. All right. Well, I I can't wait to find out what Mr. Beeb has been up to and uh, find out about his fascinating career. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Beeb. How are you going? I'm good. (laughs) It's great to see you. Yeah, you too. Absolutely. I was just thinking before, when's the last time we did an interview together? Uh... It has to be at, when I was at 3XY back in the early part of the 80s or mid part of the 80s, I reckon, around 85, I reckon. Okay, so we, we never did anything during my time with Bertel Sharp Goble? No, no. But you're back in Brisbane now or not? No, 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 I'm in Melbourne now. I've stayed, I've stayed in Melbourne, so... Yeah, but I mean, we go back a long way to four IP. <laughs> I was I was thinking the other day about uh, we did a we did a shopping centre appearance, um, yeah. at Chermside Shopping Centre in in Brisbane. You, me, and Glenn yep. in the back of this massive big limousine, and we went to uh, well, I don't, was it Parlings Record Store, I reckon, and we did an appearance on on stage on the centre court of the thing. There it was oh wow, and that would wow, have been, that, that would have been seventy five. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would have been early Little River Band days yeah. too. Yeah, so, but I was even thinking we go back longer than that during my Zoot days. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I got into radio in '73. Oh, okay. So I start. I started in '73. So I wasn't quite uh, there for the Zoot no. time. No, that, that wouldn't have been us then. It's hard to know where to start with you because because I want to I want to <laughs> I want to make the most of the opportunity I've got, and I, I guess we do start with Zoot because that. Funnily enough, has been the most recent of the of, of, of the bands before this this latest LRB thing. The the Zoot thing has been kind of floating around because of the the boat trip you did, and then there was talk of Russell Morris jumping in to to well, do some stuff. I actually, would have been back in Australia right now doing the Zoot reunion thing with Russell and Rick, but um, Rick pulled out of it for whatever reason, and um, so it didn't happen. But um, I was going to ask you before, what do you, what exactly do you want this interview to be about? You. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about you. <laughs> Enough about me. Let's talk about you. Because <laughs> it's That's a, I mean, cool. it, it's a well, it's a fascinating story, and and the musical kind of progression that you went through uh, is I, I I find absolutely fascinating. From you know from the Zoot days through to what you achieve yeah. with LRB is is quite astonishing. You you go ahead and shoot wherever you want to start. Well, uh, obviously, when people talk about Zoot, they they don't talk about one times, two times, three times, four. They talk about Eleanor Rigby. Which yes, did that kind of start as as in a little church in South Melbourne in a rehearsal room? You you kind of came up with the idea to do that. Yeah, that's correct. Well, we used to always rehearse in this church in South Melbourne, and um, you know that's where we first started coming up with uh, arrangements to other people's songs because Zoot was changing. We dropped the whole Think Pink Think Zoot thing. And the music in the world was changing with bands like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple coming along. 
And we thought to ourselves, and this was also shortly after Rick Springfield joined, we thought to ourselves, you know, we're going to get left behind unless we keep up with the times with our music. So we would take people's songs like Neil Diamond's Shiloh and rearrange it and give it a heavier arrangement. We did Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles. We did uh, Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan. and But we totally rearranged it. And um, that's how Eleanor Rigby came about as well because Rick had this incredible riff for uh, Eleanor Rigby and it was so vastly different to their version because theirs was a string quartet version, you know, I'm talking about the Beatles, of course. And um, so we came up with this arrangement and and, uh, it became one of our most popular stage songs. People just couldn't get enough of it. And uh, we ended up doing it at the... Hoadley's Battle of the Sounds in Sydney. Uh, that was sponsored by, uh, I don't know whether I can mention on your show, 2SM. <laughs> <laughs> <It is. laughs> yeah. But um, they somehow got a, a hold of the live version of Eleanor Rigby that we played on the Battle of the Sounds. And, of course, we lost that year to the uh, Flying Circus. Um and people started phoning in to 2SM and saying, where can we get this record, you know? And so Howard Gable, who was our record producer from EMI in those days, said, we've got to get you boys into the studio and record this thing because, uh, you know, there's so much demand for it. And, uh, and that's, that's really how it came about. Because there was almost a demonic feel to, to Eleanor Rigby, wasn't there, which was so far removed from what, for four or five years before that, that you'd been doing one times, two times, three times, four. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> well, probably the demonic thing, if that's what how you describe it, probably came from Rick because he, <laughs> uh, Rick kind of has a dark side to him, you know. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, when you think about Zoot just being drums, bass, guitar and a lead singer, uh, it, it turned out to be an incredible record. Of course, you know, as always, musicians really don't know what they recorded at, at, at the time. They just, you know, do their best with the arrangement of a song and and let it go wherever it takes them. Uh, we had no idea it was going to be such a huge hit. Um, and, of course, it was followed up by The Freak, which is my all-time favourite Zoot song. And uh, unfortunately, that was released uh, during the record ban and didn't get any airplay. But um, I always loved that song. Yeah, yeah, really interesting song. It was, <laughs> and, that, and that was an original, of course, because Rick Springfield had written that song, whereas Eleanor Rigby, you know, was, was just a cover. Yeah. So, what, what what sort of stuff were you writing at that stage? Because I mean, we weren't obviously seeing it uh, with the band, but what what were you writing? I wasn't. Oh, you're not? The, oh, okay. No, I wasn't. I wasn't a writer at all. I was just, you know, the bass player in Zoot, and I added my vocals to vocal bits. Um, it wasn't until Zoot broke up in April '71 that um, I decided that, or I felt within myself that I wasn't uh, advancing as a bass player. I wasn't really, you know, improving as a bass player. And so I, I gave it up and um, I borrowed somebody's cheap six-string guitar and started teaching myself chords 
And as I was doing that, I started hearing melodies come into my head for little bits and pieces of songs. So that didn't happen until Zoot broke up, and that was in, you know, just before I joined Mississippi in 1971. Wow. What was the first song you remember kind of bringing to the table and, and saying, okay, I've, I've, I've written this song? Right. Okay. Well, that was probably Will I. Ah, oh, Jesus. Because Daryl and I, during that period of, well, there actually there was a year in between the end of Zoot and me joining Mississippi. Was that Freeze? Yeah, that was in the, we were in a duo called Freeze and both Daryl and I actually wrote songs. We started writing songs and uh, we had written this song called Will I, which actually came out of um, I Was Called Up and... Um, you know, I started asking myself questions like, you know, well, will I make a man of my life? Will I build a house? Will I, you know, marry a wife kind of thing? And that's where that song came from. Daryl and I wrote that. But it wasn't a hit until Mississippi recorded it. Yeah. Because Freeze didn't record it, you know. Um, when Freeze first came together in, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe May, June of 1971, um, we were approached by Robbie Porter, who had the um, record label that also recorded Rick Springfield's first single, Speak to the Sky, and he brought a song to us from Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. They had written a song called Feelings, and uh, Daryl and I recorded that song, Feelings, but it didn't go anywhere. It was a much softer approach to what we had been doing in Zoot as well. Um, and Daryl and I weren't really sure, you know, was that the direction we wanted to go in? So, yeah. But we kept writing and, you know, we recorded an album. Uh, it was called 1972 BC, produced by Brian Cadd. And uh, Jeff Joseph, our manager at the time, got us a recording deal with Warner Brothers. And so that album was released on Warner Brothers. But that album in particular really showcases all of my, the, fir- the very first songs I ever wrote. And, uh, and I thought there were some good songs there, yeah. you know. Um, but I didn't get the acclaim, of course. And, uh, and so after a year of being in the duo, the thing that I didn't like about being in the, in the duo with Daryl was the fact that um, we started off with backing tapes, backing us, and then later uh, we had a backing band, you know, but it always smacked a little bit of being a little bit cabaret, and I was I was ran away from the cabaret thing. I didn't I didn't want any part of that. And so after doing a year of you know promoting the free suits and walking the runways and blah 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 all of that, uh, you know, I said to Daryl, "Look, this is just not. I, I I'm not loving this, you know, um, and I'm going to go my own way." So that's when you went and hooked up with with uh, with Graham and Russell and, and and did Mississippi. Yes, that's right. Um, I am um, for about three months. I answered the phone at Ambo, which was the Australian Management and Booking Organisation, also in Melbourne. Lovely older elderly lady there called Mrs. Gare gave me a job answering the phones for fifty bucks a week, <laughs> and I, I was in between bands and I needed money to live, and so that's what I did. And uh, one day I picked up the phone and uh, this voice on the other end said, oh, oh, hi, um, 
Look, uh, my name is Graham Goble, and, and I'm trying to get in touch with B. Bertels. Um, can you help me? And, of course, I was on the other end. That's, uh, <laughs> wow. that's, how, we, that's how we got together. Goodness me. Did, did you two click straight away? Pretty much. Pretty much straight away. Um, well, first of all, Graham thought I was still playing bass, which I wasn't. But I think when we did a vocal thing together, he, he was just uh, – Graham was bowled over by the fact of how great our voices sounded together. And uh, it convinced him that I should be in Mississippi, even though I wasn't a bass player. But I joined Mississippi as the third guitar player. And, of course, I added my vocals to the other guy's vocals. And John Lower, who was then the lead singer of the group, um, had a lovely, fantastic voice. But he wasn't the one who sang Kings of the World. It was actually Graham who sang Kings of the World. Oh, okay. And so those three guys had come over from Adelaide. They were in a band. They came out of a band called Alison Gross. But it was also the three guys who sang the chipmunk version of Daddy Cool that came out under the name of Drummond. Yeah, yeah I remember that. I was going to ask you if you were part of that. Yeah, no, I wasn't part of that. <laughs> that was still the th- because the three guys, you know, they did the Drummond thing for Ron Tudor for the Fable label and then Ron offered them an album deal. And so he said, but, you know, you've got to change your name, you know. So Ron came up with the name Mississippi and uh, they recorded that first Mississippi album, which was fantastic. So when Graham phoned me that day at Ambo and said, uh, you know, would you like to hear what we've been doing? We've recorded just recorded an album. We've got a hit single on our hands, Kings of the World, and we need to put a live band together to go and promote the album. So I went to 180 Bank Street, which was, you know, Armstrong's recording studio at that time, even before they changed their name to AAV. And I sat in a little office and they played me the, the whole Mississippi album and I sat back there and it, in my mind I was thinking, I've got to be part of this band. This is just fantastic. I love the vocals. I love the songs. I want to do this, you know. Yeah. That's how I came to join Mississippi. An interesting band, Mississippi, wasn't it? Because it, 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 it always, from the outside, appeared like you were going to be huge, but it never, it never actually kind of happened that way. No, it never did. Um, we were really a hard-working band. I mean, you know, sometimes we would do seven to nine gigs a week all over Australia, but we could just never shake ourselves out of the pub rock thing. And, of course, the other thing working against us was the fact that uh, we never got the opportunity to, to record another album. We recorded two more singles. Early Morning was the first one that I'd written with uh, Graham and Russ Johnson who was the guitar player in the group. And, uh, and then, of course, Will I. And Will I was released on the, on the eve of us saying we'd had enough of, you know, playing these kind of gigs in Australia and, and we were on our way to England playing on the Fair Sky, which was one of the Sitmar ships. Uh, our manager at the time had gotten us a passage to England. And isn't it funny how this things just line up like this because... You know, we sailed to uh, England, to London, and, of course, within three weeks the band broke up. <laughs> I mean, England, totally wrong place for us. 
And uh, we played some really, really bad gigs there, bad venues. And um, But, you know, uh, Graham and I uh, were renting a house in the, in the south southwest of London. And uh, before the band broke up, Derek Polici, Graham and I sat around and we were just discussing the fact that, you know, why exactly what you just said before, why wasn't Mississippi a bigger band than what it should have been, you know? And so we nailed it down to the fact that we were five musicians you know, playing our music and singing our music, but we didn't really have a good front man who could be our, the liaison between us and the audience. And so out of that conversation, I said to uh, Graham and Derek, I said, well, the, the best guy I can think of is Glenn Shorrock. And I knew Glenn was living in London because he'd, you know, he'd um, split with his band, um, the Esperanto Orchestra, and uh, he'd been singing backup vocals for Cliff Richard and Olivia Newton-John, probably doing some work still with Terry Britton, who was the guitar player in The Twilights. And uh, we invited Glenn to come over to our house. We played each other some songs. And uh, in that conversation, Glenn said that uh, he'd had enough of, you know, banging his head against a brick wall in London and he was planning to go back to Australia. Um, because at that time, you know, Graham, Derek and I weren't sure still, should we go back to Australia or should we try and reform the band in London? But when Glenn said that, we decided, okay, well, we're going to go back and reform the group in Australia. And this was early 75 now. And also in London at that time happened to be Glenn Wheatley, who was on his way back to Australia because his father was ill and um, But he was taking the long way back to Australia. He was almost hitchhiking, I think. He and his wife were hitchhiking through Europe and down through India and, you know, coming back to Australia that way. That's where the nucleus of us got together, Glenn Wheatley, Glenn Shorrock, Derek Graham and myself. And so when we all dribbled back into Melbourne in January, February 75, all we had to do was find a guitar player and a bass player to uh, complete the lineup. Was Phil Manning the original, your original choice for guitar player? Is that right? We did, uh, we did a rehearse with uh, Phil Manning at one point, but we felt that he wasn't the right guitar player for us. And then, you know, by chance, we happened across Rick Formosa, who uh, had only just come to Australia with his family from Canada. So, and we found Roger McLaughlin, who'd been touring with Godspell. He was from New Zealand, but now, you know, living in Melbourne. And so that's how the, uh, the first lineup of Little River Band got together. So that lineup, did you know, did you feel when you, when you sat down in rehearsal halls and, and started banging stuff out and, and listening to how each other played and how each other fitted with, with everyone, did you know you had something then? We knew we had something back in London, okay. even in that meeting with Glenn Shorrock, when we were playing each other songs, we uh, decided to, you know, at least see what our voices sounded like together, you know, and we rehearsed Graham's It's a Long Way There, you know, and so when we rehearsed It's a Long Way There, because Graham had already written it, we were playing that, that song in Mississippi long before Little River Band recorded it, and when we hit that It's a Long Way There, uh, we heard the blend 
in our voices and we just kind of looked at each other and we knew we had something really unique and special there. So that's when we knew we had something special.
Those harmonies, unmistakable, brilliant, and we'll go through with Beeb in part two of the interview on the next episode of Life of Brian. We'll talk about, delve into the, the Little River Band days and uh, and also what he's up to uh, up to these days. So that's coming up in part two in the next episode. Brian. Yes. You know who else is coming up in the next episodes of uh, uh, your mate Peter Couples? Oh, the Cupster. He's a beauty. He he's is funny. a beauty. You're going to talk to and Pete? Wonderful talent. The man who wrote the iconic song Feelin' All Right, Dave Mason, who was a member of Traffic and uh, these days uh, lives in America and uh, is still touring around the place. And But that song, Feelin' All Right, what a great song. And if you only write one song in oh. your life, that's the one, or Walking on Sunshine, they're the ones you want to write because the advertising people just play them for years and years and years. Yep. And, you know, what? Yeah, feeling all right, wow. A huge song, absolutely huge. So we'll catch up with him. And also uh, we're going to catch up with uh, a man you would know more from the Seinfeld series as Mr. Peterman, John O'Hurley, is going to be a guest too to talk about uh, his days on that show, which are very, very memorable. I think I missed that one too, Kev. Um, I I couldn't sleep and I had a Sarah pack and slept through the whole thing, so uh, my apologies. Well, it's a a terrific interview. I had had an absolute ball with him. I'm a massive Seinfeld fan. I'm a massive Mr. Peterman fan and uh, he lived uh, everything I'd hoped to get out of the interview, he delivered and we'll bring it to you in the next episode. But uh, Is his voice as good oh, as it is on Yeah, he actually, show? he had a little bit of, uh, he'd come off the back of having a, a, a bit, little bit of COVID and a cough, uh, but still, when he does, a couple of times in the interview, he does Peterman for me uh, and uh, and it's brilliant. It's just, there's, actually, oh. there's actually a monologue that he does in the interview which is a monologue he did on the show that finished on the cutting room floor, but he remembered it. And he did it for me, and it's bloody brilliant. You'll love it. Oh, well, I, I, I imagine he would have done a bit of Shakespeare. He sounds like a very classically trained actor. Yeah, but, he's done um, a lot of things. Does a lot of the singing. A lot of uh, does Chicago, and a lot of got a one man show that he uh, tours around as well. So <laughs> singing's more actually of, of his background than uh, than the stage. Well, yeah, so opera, I can't opera wait trained, to hear the interview. Opera trained yeah. uh, at uh, at uni. So uh, yeah, really interesting uh, bloke. That and, makes sense because and, the voice is so oh, well elegant, yeah, elegant. rich and beautiful, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you'll you'll love the interview. I, I'm still on cloud nine about how how what good fun it was, but we'll bring that to you in the next episode. Now, I want to thank is, our, is, our good friends at Murcotts before we go again. Oh, uh, yes, one three hundred triple five five seven six. Now, Christmas is coming. Just. Mm. Put your hand in your kick, ring up Mercotts and just spend it all there and the Christmas <laughs> shopping is done. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and sensibly done and uh, with, a, with a happy ending, absolutely, uh, if you uh, give them a call. Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. People are going to go down there for no, a they, no, no, expecting no. a happy ending. Well, they will. They'll, can't. they'll walk out happy. Well, they, trust me, you'll walk out happy. Oh, I thought you were talking about the massage. Mercotts.edu. No, that's massage.edu.au, not mercots.edu.au. And that number again is 1300-555-576. Write it down, call them up, do all your Christmas shopping over the phone. Fantastic. So Mr Peterman and Part 2 will be Bertles coming up in the next episode. You take care, Mr Mannix, and we will talk to you very, very soon. Well, I'm going to take care. I've never done it before, but I think it's about time I did. (laughs) (laughs) How philosophical is Are you getting in your old age Uh, 
Yeah, well, you know, got to do something, I suppose. All right. Anyway, this has been fun, Kev, and um, we'll do it again soon. You. All right, mate. Good on you. Hands as he walks from the grave. No one will save 